we're going to continue our series uh, called Rejected by Jesus. And there are really kind of two lessons that I just want us to focus on in today's sermon. And they are related, but they may not seem like it at first. So if you feel like you get two sermons out of this, then hey, that's okay. Uh, I'll do my best to, to keep it in one sermon time frame. I didn't get a scene. Mike Bowman, you were supposed to amen right there. The one time I'm counting on the... the <laughs> no, this, today we're going to look at a, a rather unique situation uh, in Scripture, and that is the story of the demoniac, the man who was possessed by a legion of demons. And you're saying, wait, I thought this was a story about being rejected by Jesus. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But the two things that I want us to really focus on and I want you to think about as we go into this is one, are you or have you tried worldly solutions to spiritual problems? Because it always turns out badly. And the second thing is I want you to think about is does being rejected by Jesus always mean that you're wrong? And those are two questions I want you to think about as we uh, look through this in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. 
Now, this is one of the more intense passages that you have in the life of Jesus. Because if there was ever a passage that just shows spiritual warfare is real and, and that darkness is real in this world, that there are demonic powers that seek to destroy, this is one of them. But one of the first things we can see from this is that Jesus goes to the darkness. Now, how many of you in here have ever heard that phrase, God cannot look on sin? You've heard that, right? It's been taught. God can't look on sin. Um, Jesus would beg to differ right here. The, the legion of demons would beg to differ. Listen, if God couldn't look on sin, none of us would be saved. I mean, there's just some you know, basic troubles right there with that theology. But what that theology does is when we start to believe that God can't look on sin, we start to believe then that we have to bring ourselves to God in the light because he can't meet us in the dark. And so we start getting this kind of belief system that we got to clean ourselves up before God can do anything with us, before God can forgive us, that somehow we have to make ourselves better in order for God's power to come into our lives. And yet, what do we see right here? We see a man who's possessed by a legion of demons, and the demons, they rush out to Jesus' feet right then. Jesus is coming to him. Jesus is intentionally choosing to go into this area where there is incredible spiritual darkness. And it's his mission to go there. Now, there was just a storm on the sea trying to keep him from getting there. Okay, Jesus is actually piercing the darkness. Okay, understand the Decapolis here was a Gentile area. There were a lot of Jewish people there too. There was a lot of Gentiles. It was this huge melting pot, if you will. And it was very, very dark. There was a lot of spiritual oppression, darkness, evil, uncleanness, sin, whatever you want to call it. It was very present in this area that Jesus is now starting to visit. How dark is it that the instant he steps his foot on the shoreline, he's already confronted with darkness. It's there. And, and my guess is, is that the demons sensed the power of God approaching. They sensed the righteousness coming, and they became aggressive and wanted to drive it out. But as soon as they got in the presence of Jesus, they realized, uh-oh, we're in trouble. This is the actual son of God. This isn't just a prophet. This isn't... I, I have no power, and he just falls at his feet. And so I just picture this aggressive run, and he's just coming, and he's yelling, and he's screaming, and he gets there, and he's like, Poof. and Jesus is like, what's up? I've been waiting on you. You see, he comes to confront Jesus, but he finds as soon as he gets there, he has no power. Now, what we learn is when Jesus doesn't wait for those in darkness to come to him, he didn't wait for you and he doesn't wait for others. Okay, the fact that Jesus stepped out of heaven shows that he's willing to come to us in our worst moments. He doesn't wait for us to get better. He comes to us when we need him the most. And so, even as a Christian, okay, maybe you're born again and you're, you, know, you can amen this and look at it and say, yeah, he saved me in my darkest, and that's awesome. But understand, the process isn't done. 
And so that means he will often present himself to us when we are most overwhelmed or overcome by even our own darkness. Jesus will go straight to the need. Now, do we often like that? No. No, because when we're in darkness like that, what are we trying to do? We're trying to hide it most of the time. We're trying to hide from the light. And, you know, it's just like when you've been in a dark room and you walk outside on a bright day, it's kind of painful for a moment. And that's what happens most of the time when Jesus approaches us in our darkness is it's something we've been trying to hide. It's something we've ashamed of. It's something that we want to pretend isn't there. And then he shines the light on it, and we're not always grateful for it in that moment. But we do find, the second thing in this is darkness is no match for the light. Darkness has no power. Okay, and, and understand this. Darkness doesn't even have a physical presence of its own. What is darkness? It's simply the absence of light. If you were in utter darkness, complete and total darkness, the human eye would be able to see one candle from a distance of two miles away. That's how powerful light is. Darkness has no power. You can't, you can't bring darkness into a room. All you can do is turn out the lights. All you can do is cover the light and keep the light from getting in. That's what darkness is. And so what we have here is this demoniac, this guy comes before him and he falls in front of him and then he starts to beg and he says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He's afraid. These demons are literally afraid. And what we see right here is absolute subservience and submission, even if involuntarily to Jesus the light. Don't ever forget that in your life. The darkness has no power over the light. The closer we walk with Jesus, the less power the darkness has in your life. The more light we allow into our hearts, the less darkness gets to set up shop. You see, this, this man ran to oppose Jesus and immediately found himself kneeling before Jesus. Think of that image. Sear that image into your brain for your spiritual life. When, when darkness comes up against you, when temptation comes against you, when, when opposition comes against you, sear that image of the man possessed by a legion of demons falling in front of Jesus' feet and begging him not to be tormented. Because that is exactly what will always happen. And then the third thing, we must expect resistance when we start shining light into darkness. And when I say expect resistance, expect it from yourself. Expect it from others. Expect it from the world. Expect it to, to happen when we start shining lights. They don't like it. Those in darkness aren't going to like it. Now, like I said, Jesus, to get to this place, was already in a boat, and that's the storm starts going, and Jesus had to stand up and say, be still. That's it. No more. The storm itself, the world itself, was trying to keep Jesus from getting to this area. And then as soon as he steps off, he's met by a man possessed of a legion of demons. Look, Jesus is going straight into incredible spiritual darkness. 
And he doesn't hesitate one bit. He's not afraid. He's not, you know, wondering if he has enough power. He knows exactly what he's doing. John talks about this in John 1, 4 and 5. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. The darkness has not overcome it. Satan has not won a single battle against God. He has not won a single battle against our Lord Jesus Christ. Not one. He is in subservience to him. If somewhere in your mind you have this worldly idea that's out there that God and Satan are locked in this eternal battle and that they're equals, one evil, one good, fighting each other, that is a wrong image to have in your mind. God has already won that battle. If you want a better image in your mind to think of, think of the archangel Michael fighting Satan. Both of them are subservient to God and to Jesus. If you want that image of spiritual warfare in your mind and how it's working, think of angels battling Satan and his demons. But they are absolutely subservient. And so what we see here is that it says the, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcoming. Jesus goes to the darkness. He is the light and he will bring himself to even your darkest moment. Now, how did he do this in the greatest way? The absolute greatest way, Romans 5.8. But God chose his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The darkest part of the human heart is that we are separated from God by sin. That is the chief problem of humanity. That is the chief problem of mankind. That is the thing that, that most needs addressed is us being separated from God because of our sin. And what did God do? He sent his son to die a sacrificial death on the cross as a payment for that sin and be raised again on the third day so that all who believe in him would be saved. He came to our darkness. And I love this, but God chose his love for us in that, what does it say? While we were still sinners. Not after we decided we didn't want to be sinners. Not after we stopped sinning. Not after we, we tried to stop sinning. What does it say? While we were still in full-on rebellion, he, the light, came into the dark. And so we have to learn to expect this, this resistance. We have to learn to expect this spiritual war in our own lives. It's real. It is absolutely real. But whenever darkness is there, God's going to march straight towards it. Unbeliever or believer, doesn't matter. You know, none of us in here that are already believers, that are already Christians, has ceased entirely from sinning. And if you believe you have, you're lying to yourself. Okay, the Bible tells us, if we claim to have no sin, we are liars, and the truth is not within us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what we see here is that the human life, the, the, the life of a person who walks with God is kind of one of this continuously being 
drawn up out of darkness and put in the light. And then we kind of stumble again. He pulls us back up. And it's like this re-entering into the light over and over and over again until we, we become so enamored with the light that that's what we desire. But listen to Psalm 40, 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. What is that image? This is a person stuck. And it's not just quicksand. It's, it's this miry bog. It's a swamp. And their feet are trapped and they are stuck in it and they can't get themselves out. But what does he say? He says, he drew me up out of it. Listen, if, if anything within you says, I can handle it, I got this, you don't got this. You don't. But God will. And then in verse 3 he says, he put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, what he's saying is that when we can't help ourselves and God helps us, it's going to lead us to a place where people are going to recognize the work of God in our lives. They're going to be like, yeah, the only thing that can explain what just happened is God. Now think about the, the man with the demons. They're realizing like something major is happening. This, this can't be explained. And because they had tried to help him over and over. What did it say? I mean, they had gotten to a point of just chain the guy up. Just chain him up. How bad had this gotten that they're like, just chain him up and leave him there. And he still couldn't. They said he would break the chains. And yes, this is some science fiction kind of stuff here that he's, in, he's got so many demons inside of him that he's got superhuman strength now. These things are real. But they have no idea what to do. But one of the things we have to learn is how to recognize the darkness. Because one of the chief deceptions of the enemy is to get us to say that the light is darkness and the darkness is light. He's always wanting to invert things. He's always wanting to get us to call evil good and good evil, to confuse us so that sometimes we can grow up in a world where there, there's evil, there's sin that we just look at as totally acceptable. And here's an example of that, okay? Take any item you want in which we can go back 100 years, 200 years in history, and we look at it and we go, how could they think that way? Right? We've heard that, right? And you look back and we want to judge history and we're like, they were so backwards. What do you think they're going to say about us? In which we look at it and we think, oh, no, we're, we're good. We got it figured out. You know what? They thought they had it figured out then too. And there was evil within them and within their culture, within their societies, that is clear as day in hindsight. But you know what? To them, it was normal. All of us can and will normalize evil. If we don't, not just justify it, normalize it. If we aren't constantly coming back to the word of God and holding ourselves and our culture and our society, everything up to the standard of righteousness found in scripture. And so 
We've got to learn to recognize the darkness. Listen again to this man's life at this point. Okay? It says he lived among the tombs. How many of you, that's weird, right? Nobody out here goes and sleeps out in the cemetery? Yeah, I mean, it's, his life already just reflects death. Okay, he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. We've talked about that. No one had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Destruction, death, pain, suffering, needless suffering. Suffering isn't always a sign of evil in your life. Sometimes it's a broken world, but this is needless suffering. This is him cutting himself. This is him hurting himself simply for the act of doing it. This is a loss of respect for life. This is a loss of value, uh, of peace. There is no peace. There is no love. His life reflected death. He was a danger to himself and to others and could not be restrained. Now, in our modern times, what would we call this? We'd just say he's mentally ill. And he just needs help. He needed an exorcism. Now, I'm not saying that every case is... It, it don't, don't take this further than what I'm saying. But also don't take it off the table. Sometimes it is a spiritual problem. It's not always mental illness. Sometimes it's demonic presence and we got to learn how to recognize which is which and, and you see what has happened here is, is this man was isolated both because of himself and of others you see evil will always want more evil will continue to take whatever it has the ability to take this man did not start out in this horrible condition in his life it's where he ended up how did he get there because by this point, many had obviously tried to help him along the way with worldly means of help and failed. And here is where, where I started out. Worldly means of help, worldly solutions for spiritual problems will always leave a person worse off than when they started. Every time. Because the world cannot provide what only God can provide. You see, if a person cannot find, can't, okay, I'm not saying that they're not in the process, and, but if they cannot find healing, peace, life, and community, if it just can't, you know, it's just not there, it's time to start questioning the influences in that person's life. It's time to start questioning what it is they're committed to and what is keeping them from finding peace and healing and life and community. Because those are the very things God wants for all of us. In even unsaved people, God doesn't withhold those things from them. Okay, that's part of the blessings of God that it says his reign falls on the just and the unjust. God still wants even people who don't follow him to have a level of, of peace and healing and life and community. Now, ultimately those aren't possible away from God. But God is not going to keep a person because, you know, they're not following him actively. He's not, like, withholding it. And so he's not saying perfection here. But some semblance of God's presence and peace will show itself if a person is walking with God. 
And so if they can't find healing, they can't find hope, they can't find peace, they can't find life, and it's just always this, this problem, you've got to start asking, you know what, I might be following darkness. Am I walking in darkness? Because worldly solutions will make things worse. Worldly solutions may offer a short-term fix. And I mean that. It may even look like it worked. The only problem is it sets you up for something worse later. Okay, listen to what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty four 24-26. It says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. So whatever they did worked. Persons found some peace. They found they're there. Things seem to be working. But what happens? It says, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. You know why? Because worldly means of solving problems that are spiritual in nature don't take the spiritual realities into account. And so they may be able to clean the house, but they can't stop the unclean spirit from coming back. See, God does that. When God saves a person, when God heals a person, that thing's vanished and cannot come back because a new residence has taken up that, the house, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so not so much that God can't look on sin, it's that sin can't look on God. And they go. But look, listen to what happens. So he just said, Jesus warned in Luke here, he says, look, if, if you don't take the right steps to, to really clean house here, you may clean house and then find that it's worse off. So he says they go out and find seven worse than themselves and bring them in. Now listen to what happened here in Mark 5, 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. How many times has this man gone through this process? Could you imagine the loss of hope? As it, it for, you know, it's bad. And then he has this slight uptick of like, hey, it's getting better. And then he just drops down lower. And then he gets a little bit better again, and then he drops down lower. And it just these demons just keep coming back and coming back and coming back because he won't solve the real problem. The short-term fixes aren't working. The only cure that will ever truly stick is the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we only get by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And then what do we see? We see that evil only knows how to destroy. We have to learn to recognize the darkness and see the fruit that comes from it. After begging, don't throw us out into nothingness. Don't make us go. They said, let us go into the pigs. It says what? In verse 11, it says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Doesn't that seem a little self-defeating on the demon's part? Yes. But that's all they know how to do. All they know how to do is destroy life. And that's what we see running rampant in our society right now. It is a whole lot of things promising life, and all it's doing is taking it. 
stealing people's peace, stealing people's community, stealing people's identity, taking and taking and taking and destroying them so that all that's left is a shell of a person on the other side. We as the church have to start calling darkness what it is. Don't be afraid. This isn't about being judgmental and it's not being belligerent to the world and just picking fights. But we also have to learn how to be bold that when it's a spiritual problem, we've got to bring the spiritual answer. Because nobody else will. The world will never get it right. They will never have the right answer. Tell a person, you know, you really need God. You need to get right with God. And you need to get this darkness out of your life. And that's going to fix about 90% of your problems right now. The world will never do that. They're going to focus on the 10 and ignore the 90. And they'll just double down on that 10 over and over. Keep going, keep going. Meanwhile, they really could be making things worse. And so that brings us to the second part of this message. In which we have a job to do as a church, as Christians. And sometimes we don't like that job. Because we can see something much easier and more personally rewarding, but not better for the kingdom. You see, what we've got to learn is to submit to Jesus and find life. Now listen to the end of this story again, because it's, it's, it's interesting. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city. So yes, some people are freaked out. Understand that. They just watched their entire herd of pigs just rush off and kill themselves off a cliff and into the, the sea and they see this guy that they know is trouble and suddenly he's sane and they're like, yeah, I'm out. No more. And it says, and people came to see what it was that had happened and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. That's a testimony, folks. He now has a testimony of the power of God in his life and it's important. It says, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, so Jesus agrees. They're like, you got to go. You got to go. And listen, they mean it. They are so freaked out right now. They're not going to listen to a word Jesus has to say. They, they just want him gone. And listen, sometimes we run into that, right? I've run into that as a pastor. There are people, they just, they don't want to hear about God. And it's not that, that they're just overcome with evil. It's just, they, they've had so much happen to them and everything that they've just kind of shut down and they're afraid of it now. And I represent like, you know, as a, as a pastor and I try to talk to them, they're just like, I really don't want to hear from you. I don't like you. <laughs> I don't want to hear from you. Uh, I just, just don't. But you know who they will listen to? Someone that they trust. Someone that they know. And so what does Jesus do? It says, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He's like, let me go with you, please. He wants to leave. Like, he wants to leave that life behind. Do you blame him? He's like, I... You are the answer. I want to be where you are. Let me go with you. And Jesus rejects him. It says, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. You see, Jesus himself, during his ministry, would not go into the Gentile world. He saved that for the church. So how does he get his testimony ahead of him into the Gentile world? He sends a representative. He sends one who has a testimony that cannot be argued. He sends one whom everybody's going to know. By this point, this man would have been famous. There would have been the onlookers that would have been fascinated by his superhuman strength. There would have been the exorcists that thought they could handle it. I mean, I promise, this guy would have been the sideshow freak for everybody to come and see. And they had. And he'd cry out and we don't know all that would have happened, but I guarantee this guy would have been known. So when he comes walking into town, clothed, talking as a normal person, relating to people, guess what? It's going to get some attention. Jesus knows this. And so Jesus himself would not go into the Gentile world, but he would give that mission to this man who would now go there because Jesus, as he stepped into this region, was on the outskirts of the Gentile world. And so these people now fear Jesus so much that they know this guy. And he's going to testify to the word in the name of Jesus Christ. And so what was a combustible situation? Because if this is what happens on the outskirts, what do you think happens when Jesus walks into one of the cities in the Decapolis? All of the demonic activity and everything going on, it's going to be chaos. It is going to be chaos. And Jesus knows this, and that's why he agrees to leave. But he doesn't leave without making his mark first. And he says, oh, I can, I can upset this whole apple cart very easily. I'll heal this one person. He'll go tell everybody, and that'll take care of it. The good news will be preached. The difficulty in this is what if you're this man? He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to go with him. It says he begged him. And I, you hear me say it all the time. The Bible has propensity for understatement. I bet this man had tears in his eyes. Please, Jesus, let me go with you. I got nothing here. My family's gone. Everybody's gone. And they all think I'm crazy. He probably just wanted to look at that and say, you know what? Never mind. I want to go start a new life and I will do it following Jesus. I will go with him. He desperately wants to go, but Jesus rejects this request. He won't let him. And he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You see, God is always working at a bigger level than we can imagine. Always. Jesus said, you know, my father has not stopped working. And he's still working to this day. God is still working. He's working through you. He's working in you. He's working around you. God is still working. And yes, this man himself could have followed Jesus. And he could have learned a lot and grown a lot and experienced some amazing things but it would have just been him. 
all been just for him? Who else would have benefited from having one more person following Jesus around during his ministry? See, I have no doubt this man would have been grateful. He probably would have been an amazing disciple in this moment of just listening to, to Jesus and learning and growing and obeying and, and all of that. But he had a bigger mission. He was to take that light that Jesus had given him into a very dark place. And that was his mission. He will reach an untold number of people because he was rejected by Jesus. You see, being rejected by Jesus doesn't mean you're always wrong. It just means you may not be thinking big enough. It means you might not be thinking in kingdom terms. You, you, you might, we might just be thinking about ourselves and what we want. And even if what we want is a good thing. See, this is where this gets hard because it doesn't always mean we're in full-on rebellion to God. This man was not in rebellion to God right here. He's begging to follow Jesus for crying out loud. But it still isn't God's purpose for his life. And so there are good things that we can pray for sometimes that Jesus rejects because it doesn't fit in the mission that he has for us within his kingdom. His calling was not to follow Jesus personally on earth. He's going to have a faith in Jesus the rest of his life. We're going to see this man in heaven. Okay, I mean, don't think that he's not a follower, but he's not going to be one of the 12. He's not going to be one of the disciples that follows him around physically. His faith is now strong enough that he doesn't need the presence, the physical presence of Jesus to have his faith. Jesus knows this, and he sends him there. Because the people of the Decapolis needed to hear about the power of Jesus more than this man needed to follow Jesus from town to town. Unfair for the man? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I'll tell you what I tell my kids. The, God doesn't care about fair. The fair is where you go to eat bad food and ride rides. <laughs> That's the fair. If we're going to get into fair with God, then he wins because grace is completely unfair. and We don't really want to start measuring that. We don't want to get into that. See, this man has a testimony. And so the key to this, once again, is self-denial. Following Jesus would have been more personally appealing for this man. But going home and telling his family and friends about Jesus was going to have a far, far greater and that's what Jesus told him to do. And we've got to adopt that attitude in our lives. We're here to serve the kingdom. And that means many times, though it's a good thing we could want, we can look at it in our mind and we can think, this is a good thing I'm praying for. This is what I want. This would, God, this would be good. He says, yeah, it'd be good for you, but not for everyone else. And I've got a plan for you that you're going to impact others. And so, yes, that means you have to go back and face the people that called you crazy. You got to go back and face this with the newfound faith that you have. Not the life the man wanted, but it is the life he's now been assigned by God. And you know what? The Apostle Paul understood this. He completely understood this. And we're going to close with this. In 1 Corinthians 9. 19 through 23, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
To the Jews, I have become a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I've become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You know what Paul's saying right there? He's saying, I don't worry about me anymore. I worry about them. And he meets them where they are. Kind of like Jesus taking the light to the darkness. Paul didn't go from town to town demanding everybody all of a sudden act Christian. What did he do? He says, to the weak I became weak. I found those that were searching and I gave them answers. I gave those that, that needed love, I gave them love. To those who were prideful, I gave them the law. You know why? Because the law of God will humble the heart. It'll do it like that. But you see, Paul says, I'm going to take, I, I will use whatever I got to use to take the light to the darkness. And that was his calling. And that is all of our calling too. And so if you've been rejected by Jesus for good things that you've prayed for, understand it may be that you just have a higher calling. You just haven't figured it out yet. This man wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to walk with him. Not a bad desire. Nothing wrong with it. But he had a higher calling than that. He had a higher mission and a higher purpose that Jesus was setting him on in that moment then. And yeah, it was going to be uncomfortable. He was going to have to go back and reestablish his life in this place. He was going to how many people are not going to trust him? I guarantee you, the guy's breaking chains and shackles, and he's going to be like, no, really, I'm good now. And they're like, yes, stay over there. And he's like, no, really, I'm, I'm fine. God has had mercy on me. See, he has a testimony, but that doesn't mean life's going to be easy. But it now is worth it. He has a calling, and he has a purpose because he was rejected by Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. And God, we thank you that your purposes are higher than our purposes. God, we thank you that you are building your kingdom in the best way possible. And God, we thank you that we get to be a part of that. God, help us to see and know your ways, to recognize your truth, God. To trust you enough that when you reject what we think are good requests, God, that we would look for, for something higher, for a purpose beyond ourselves, so that we don't miss it. God, teach us how to serve you. Help us to become what you want us to become, to share the light that you want us to share, to have the impact in our world that you want us to have. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray this together. Amen.